hello everybody and welcome to uh, series five episode four of the future of internal communication podcasts uh, i'm dominic walters and i'm joined as usual by my two comrades uh kat and jen and we also are delighted to have a, a good friend of mine a colleague of mine matt stevens uh, ceo of impulse uh, to join us today hello matt hey um, Dom, great to be here uh, Matt's uh, a, a, a CEO of a leading um, employee engagement consultancy, Impulse, uh, has been named as a top global influencer and expert around employee engagement over the last five years, uh, but is also a recognised authority in the whole area of employee engagement and experience, in particular looking at the, the power of emotion, how emotion uh, determines uh, how people react to, to what's going on and to change around them. Uh, Matt's a published author. Uh, he wrote The Engagement Revolution, which was published in 2019, but also features regularly in publications such as Forbes or HR News, Personnel Today, and other HR and change-related magazines. Matt, that's a very brief introduction. So uh, just add in, fill in some of the gaps. Tell us about how you got to where you are at the moment, please. Fantastic. Thanks, Dom. So I was born. I'm only kidding. <laughs> I, won't, I won't go all the way back there. No, I, I guess the, the kind of key milestones that are worth just mentioning, they shaped certainly um, my where I am today, um, was first joining Aviva, the insurance company. I was based in York. And um, I joined like this weird function that nobody really understood what it was, which is called the internals comms uh, function, which, you know, now, you know, we're living in the good of it. You know, you're the IOIC, you know, it's amazing how far we've come on. And that wasn't that long ago. It was only like five years, I'm sure. Um, but but I, I joined, joined uh, <clears throat> the internal comms function and really learned a huge amount about strategic comms, about crisis comms, about change comms. Uh, about influence, about leadership, and I, I kind of ended in ignominy a little bit, which was um, two twofold. One is um, I had a propensity to keep telling senior leaders where I thought they were going wrong, and as a twenty-five-year-old who who was still being sort of crafted and shaped myself, I hadn't really learned that there are many ways to do that other than just tell them bluntly that they weren't very good. <laughs> So uh, that, that, that was some feedback I got at the time. I was saying, you know, we love your passion. We love your enthusiasm. And it's not that what you're saying is wrong, but the way you're saying it doesn't necessarily resonate when you say very clearly to a leader, you know, that was really awful. I mean, the way you communicate, that was just a joke. And I, I used to do that thinking, but wouldn't you want to know? You know, we could all, and I realized, no, <laughs> quite often they don't want to know. Anyway, so track forward, I, I left Aviva. And I did leave. Uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't forced out. And uh, I spent actually um, about five years doing two things. One was um, interiming as a head of internal comms, places like Eon, RSA Insurance. So some fantastic corporate companies. Had a lot of fun. And secondly, I got into the whole realm of coaching. Uh, if you remember back when Tony Robbins was kind of at his height in the early noughties, I did a lot of his um, uh, content and courses. Um, and a number, some more sort of other ones called Pacific Institute. And really, really um, enjoyed the coaching aspect. And that kind of shaped me up a bit. Then I got into um, back into sort of consultancy, very much around engagement comms. And in 2015, delighted to start Impulse, uh, which was really, um, just, just to kind of finish it off, was about how do we revolutionize the approach to employee engagement? Uh, and a key part of that, to be fair, was about how do we start to tell stories rather than just give data? Uh, and, you know, five, six years on, 
still loving it, still enjoying it, working with lots of corporate clients, global clients. Um, we've got, I think, half a million employees on our platform, something like 70,000 managers, and however many exec that I get to speak with um, once they've done the survey, which is gives me a really interesting perspective on what's kind of going on and, and the trends that are happening. So. Well, thanks, Matt. Well, let, let's start by delving into some of those trends and perspectives. As you say, we're we're looking today at the role of storytelling in internal comms. So from your experience, how does storytelling give people such a powerful response, powerful emotional response that makes it a useful tool for internal communicators? Yeah, I mean, the reality is, Dom, over the last decade, the amount of research and work being done on this um, from just take what Daniel Kahneman um, you know, and many, many others who've looked into sort of the role that emotions play. And of course, you know, the godfather, Daniel Goldman, uh, you know, talks about, you know, emotion, intelligence uh, and leadership. And I think what people over the last five to six years, and no doubt COVID sped this up, have been doing is how do we take the theory that we know emotion's important? And, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, which at its root is how you feel drives your performance or your behavior and how you feel is driven by what you focus on or what you're thinking about. Um, how do you take all of that and actually play that into the corporate landscape, into the day-to-day -day reality of being a line manager with 400 things to do and people above you and people below you and everyone's shouting at you and, you know, what what, what role does it play? And actually, it's massive. It's absolutely massive. So. I always think of, I think it was Kahneman who said, you know, forget about PowerPoint and statistics. To involve people at the deepest level, you need stories. And and I think that's so true because, you know, we've all been in those town halls or those all-hand meetings where, you know, you're literally, you know, it's, it's the nodding dog, you know, you're just about kind of <laughs> staying awake as the senior leader goes through the 14th slide of numbers and figures. And you're thinking, none of this is relevant to me. There's no story being told. It's just data being thrown at you on a PowerPoint versus occasionally, hopefully we've all come across the leader who has actually told a story. Uh, and as we've that data in, don't get me wrong, you know, said, look, we've got to, you know, improve and increase our productivity. We've got to grow our bottom line by 10%. But you know what? Last year was difficult. And they start to tell it why it was difficult. And suddenly you're into a story and, you know, we faced some giants and the giants were COVID and the giants were and, and, and then you, you're off and away and there's and people are going, oh, yeah, that's true. That's right. Because people are connecting at the deep emotional level. And that's really, if you had to get to it, the core of, of storytelling is about tapping into the deepest human emotions, which is stories. And, you know, we have one of the oldest ones ever, you know, the world has still remembered Adam and Eve. And here we are, whether that was created, they reckon, you know, whether three, four thousand years ago, it's still like one of the most known stories that's incredible it's passed down generation to generation as opposed to no one remembers any statistics from three thousand years ago because it doesn't have the emotional resonance so, so when you have when you have these debates with with executives and leaders matt um how do you how do you convince them because i, I imagine and i know from my own experience lots of leaders would say oh, that sort of makes sense but that's a big leap for me to make now standing up in front of my my peers perhaps but also my reports and, and starting to tell stories that's going to be a big leap so how do you make the case to them always the outcomes so I'll, I'll i will i'll say to exec so are you wanting people to embrace the future and what you're trying to achieve are you wanting people to be proud of the company they're part of are you wanting people to feel like they can make a difference in your company because they, so they can give their best 
would you like people to better understand what your company's vision and strategy is? Would you like employees to actively contribute in delivering the vision and strategy? Well, if all of that is true, which, you know, no leader worth their salt is going to go, no, that's it. That's the kind of the nirvana for leaders is to achieve all of that. And I'll say, well, the reality is we've got to create an emotional connection to this vision and this strategy. And, and one that actually wins people's hearts as well as their minds. Uh, and to do that, we need to start um, telling stories. So that's kind of the first. The second is there's so much data out there now, which is ironic, I know, but hit, hear me out. There's so many um, that you can build a story with that data to go. It's overwhelming that pretty much everybody now sees that storytelling is powerful. So, you know, Richard Branson said there's power in storytelling. It can open the mind and trigger action. Um, Harvard Business Review said life happens in the narratives we tell one another. A story can go where quantitative analysis is denied admission, our hearts. So these are really like serious, sober, um, left brain intellectual people um, talking about storytelling in a way that's going to make a difference to the business. I always think of, I think it's John Cotter, the Harvard Business School professor who said, I've become convinced that we learn best and we change from hearing stories that strike a chord within us. Those in leadership positions who fail to grasp or use the power of stories risk failure for their companies and for themselves. And I think, you know, so for me, it's like, let's remind the leader of what they're trying to achieve for the business. Let's connect them to the world of experts who are saying, look, this is, this is, we're past the point of having to make this case, if that makes sense anymore. We've, we've, it's been made. And then the hardest bit of all is getting to do it. Mm, mm. Well, it certainly makes sense to me because one of the things that I find myself reflecting on a lot is actually the, the stuff that goes on inside our heads, which goes on all day long, you know, and is a story. We, we narrate our lives to ourselves in, and we shift from one story arc to the next story arc. So the role of storytelling makes sense to me. I'm fascinated by the extent to which or how it builds a sense of connection and community within organizations what have you discovered there matt um yeah i think i think the the the, the biggest thing is how is exactly what you said actually is how how do you connect people then to the story and the first bit is to go what is our story so i think i would start there and go what story have you been telling because there is there there will be a story in your organization, you may not even know it as the exec or the leaders, but there'll be a story being told. Um, and I'm sure we've all sort of uh, experienced that um, in, in, in different ways, but I've been part of, I can't necessarily name names, but I've been part of um, helping large corporates who've lost, or the leaders, when I say they've lost the story, it's got out of control in terms of, um, in particular, I'm thinking of the last couple of years, uh, you know, we are not a diverse organization. In fact, we seem to actively um, not look to promote diversity. Uh, and that's because, and then the story has been created around that's because the leaders think this or the leaders think that. And I go, like, people have taken data, but actually if you talk about the data, it's, it's almost more neutral. And what they've done is put a story around it and they've started to put characters and unfortunately you're the bad character you're you're, you're the you're, you know the enemy now in this story uh, and actually we got to look at how we connect you back into that 
which typically means, um, I know this is going to sound really basic, but it's you've got to do a lot more communication, a lot more talking, a lot more willingness to speak to and listen to what's happening out in your organization. So I, I think the first thing is always connecting to what is the story being told uh, in your organization, which doesn't take long. I, I tend, you know, you, you know, if I can be in and around people, whether it's Zoom or whatever, or interview people, and you only need like 10 or 15, and you'll start to pick up the threads of the story. Well, we're an incredibly focused, and they'll go, we're an incredibly focused uh, organization, which, you know, so we kind of have to accept that sometimes, you know, leaders can be a bit, you know, well, you know, it's not bullying. I don't want to say bullying. Can you see the stories being built? And I was literally, I was in one only three months ago where they were saying that. And I was like, wow, you know, that was that was from 10 people basically saying the same thing. And I was like, there is a story already established. Um, they've got a bit of data as well to back it up. You know, you know, three exec have left in the last six months. Well, that's only a piece of data, but all they've done is put a story around it, which has connected emotionally to them, really peed them yeah. off, making them think about leaving too. I think that's interesting because isn't it true? It, you, you know, you sound like you've really researched this area, but isn't it true that if in the absence, like you can have the data, but in the absence of a story, we we make stories up to fill that void, something that we can remember because most often data is pretty sterile, isn't it? And actually how likely, I find myself, you know, I can remember lots of things, but I... You know, I often stumble on the exact percentage or the exact number or what have you, and I'll brush over it and say, but that's not the point. The story is, da, 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 you know. So I think it's interesting the extent to which we're not really interested in the data. The data's there, and then we'll create a story around it yeah. if there isn't one. Kat, I just, I just have to give you this example. I know, uh, let's earth this in the current time we're in, which is the beginning of 2022. Uh, so for those of you listening, uh, Boris has just... Um, apologized for being in a garden for 25 minutes so interesting piece of data there right on the 20th of may right can you see it's just two pieces of data you go oh 25 minutes 20th of may what the story's been created is everybody's gone what was i doing on the 20th of may oh yeah i wasn't seeing people i wasn't seeing my parents i couldn't show them my new child i couldn't be at the funeral i couldn't so suddenly the story but i just want to give this i was listening to the the radio and uh, a lady was on there this morning, and apparently there were 30 people in the garden. That's reasonably taken as fact, right? But a lady on the radio who was in wherever, Manchester or Stafford or somewhere, you know, um, said, you know, and there were hundreds of people in the garden having this massive party. And I thought, the stories, you see, no no one remembers the number. That's not the point. There's, the thing is, there's this big party happening. Chinese whispers, isn't it? Chinese yeah. whispers. It's like, it's like when we were at school. Yeah. But I want to make your point it's really vital that the numbers and the stats, in a sense, have got lost. And this happens in corporate. You bring it out to corporate, you, you know, people go, yeah, but what's happening really is, and people go, well, you know, it's only three. No, 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 but it's a real sense of everybody's leaving. Everybody's going to different organisations, you know. But so in that context, I mean, obviously, you know, what we're experiencing right now at the start of the year is is arguably a leadership crisis at a national level. But what 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 that example illustrates is actually you cannot you can no longer afford to be without story yeah. because they, people will make up and fill the gaps in right yes and they they lost control of the story which you have to just keep repeating and and, and also the other bit that's really important for for, for corporates to, to hear is you've got to keep it simple 
like you think of the best known stories, you know, the, the three bears, Golden Ox and the three bears. It is, they're always simple stories that have lasted generations and generations. You know, Jonah and the whale, you know, it's like they're just such simple um, stories. Alice in Wonderland, like we can't really remember all of it, but she, she kind of fell down a hole, right? And that, that's kind of you go, yeah, and she was in this amazing Wonderland. And that's that, that's kind of the what the story's about. So I'm always, it's really hard because you've got to, as you well know, at the, t- at the senior levels of corporates, companies are very particularly left brain, which means logical, analytical, processed, numbers driven people. And there has been over the last quite a number of years, a real trend of seeing CFOs become CEOs. That's where they, they, the pool they're now reaching from have been for about probably the last decade. So the challenge that gives is convincing them that just kind of one point or one small part of the story is enough. It's very difficult because they want to go, yeah, but I've got 400 slides and I've got 16 key stats and I've got, and I'm like, yeah, but no, you'll feel good. I always say to me, you'll feel great walking away going, I've got all my content over. And everyone else will walk away and go, I don't even know what to make of all that. It was just noise as opposed to one key kind of piece. Yeah, I, I was just going to, you know, I'm listening in and this whole piece around data and stories and, you know, and move on to it. But I think it's it's interesting. I mean, in another life, you know, I, I represented people that work in the market research industry, you know, which obviously is the data. They were rebranding big data, smart data, evidence based. And there is a, you know, we, we live in a, particularly in some organisations, an evidence-based decision-making environment. That's the crux of everything. Evidence should inform every decision. And certainly in that profession, and they do great work, um, they are trying to deploy storytelling techniques now as opposed to around data to be able to inform it. So we're using things like customer data, which is malaise of information, to then kind of go, well, actually, let's make a story about a customer who is just simply can't purchase something because of this particular story or how it feels for them when they're involved in the brand. So for me, it doesn't take a great stretch to think, well, why aren't we doing it the other way around when we're using stories at at senior level Mm -hmm. to influence big business decisions? Mm -hmm. And I wonder, even though we're trying to... I guess, get our leaders to tell stories from data back to employees. Mm. Do you think we're doing good work as becoming an evidence-based profession in ourselves, I guess, because that's always what people look for, the the reasons behind um, the decisions you're asking them to make. Do you think we could do a better job at using our storytelling abilities to feed back upwards the loop? You know, because we're there as listeners to help actually go back to the senior going, this is the issue and this is how people feel. So make an informed decision. So could we use it in different ways? Yeah, definitely. And so as, as Dom said out at the beginning, um, my role as founder CEO of Impulse is effectively gathering data on employees um, through surveys and then um, working very hard to turn that data into the story. And that's something over the last two years we we really shifted on to go, you know, you know, we've got great dashboards, blah, blah, blah. But actually, that's still lots of numbers and figures. And and so what we've been working on um, really hard is actually um, putting that data first. I've got a kind of a three-step process we, we do is putting that data into a context. So, for example, you've just been through some around the redundancies. We're just coming out of COVID. Um, you, um, we're, we're noticing that um, we've been attracting, you know, 
we sorry, we've onboarded a hundred new people, whatever it is. So there's got to be a context, right? Uh, both world and within the company, because um, that gives it gives it relevance. It gives the data relevance um, for it. So that's the first thing we do is we look at the data and then we give a context to it so we can give a relevance to it when we're speaking back. The second thing is then we create the narrative to go, what it's telling you is your people, because uh, interesting what sort of separates us out is we do ask people how they actually feel, the emotions. So we're actually able to say, you know, what we what we can see is, you know, 60% of your people feel irritated. Now that's really important because that's quite different to a 0.368 number for engagement index. Uh, not that I'm against that, but the point is when you go 60% of your people are irritated and they're irritated because they don't see that there's a clear strategy or vision for the organization, which is interesting because you're going through a change back to the context. So we've got a problem here that needs um, fixing. And, and then that's the visual, that's kind of the last bit. So, you know, there's context, the narrative and the visual, if you like, or um, how do you make it relevant by putting it into the context? How do you make it readable or, or you know, received by putting it into the story, and then how do you bring some realism so they, they see some cold hard, you know, figures, but not many, just to kind of uh, remind them of it. So that's that's typically how we would um, approach it. Two things happen, if I can say, Jen. Yeah, please. One is a small minority of exec still fight it, and they fight because they go into the data because they don't like the story. So then they have to dismiss uh, the the data, right? Uh, which is so interesting to watch because because you you can't the data is the data, right? You, they'd actually this they'd be better to have a go at the story and go, you know, how have you extrapolate that story than to go for the data because the data is just what people have said. So I go, um, so, so that's always interesting. It's always a minority. It's always like one or two. It typically, is those who've got the poorer scores, but they they will go after the data. The the, the second thing that can happen is people fight the story by being subjective. And what I mean is they'll go, yeah, but what I hear is that actually people aren't annoyed with the leadership. They're actually a little bit just annoyed with one of the processes that we set up a few years ago. And you go, I go, oh, that's really interesting. That's your subjective view. And they go, well, I go, well, sorry, have you, have you got the data? So I play play the other side back to them. I go, so, so you've got 400 people who've said that on a survey and given their emotions to that. And of course, there's this, you know, silence. And I go, well, so we've actually got the emotions that people are feeling. We've got the why they feel this way. And we've got the context in which that's happened. Honestly, because it, it is, if you think of storytelling, and we're talking about it, it has so many powerful ways and such a powerful opportunities in so many ways from whether that's whether you're convincing on this side you're bringing people with you you're doing all those sorts of things um but it is as well we have to really having that that point around subjectivity mm. and actually and because the stories are emotion mm. if you don't like a story yeah. you'll you, you, you'll rally against yeah. it yeah. and yeah. i think that that that's something and I, and you talked about briefly there around sort of purpose and vision and, and values and mission and mm. you know and how people might respond to that and it's I know many of these episodes and, and, and things that we're talking about and we all know this we're in this sort of profound moment where mm. we're trying to purpose matters we're trying to set a new vision mm. we're trying to build a new sense of who we are, why we are, and what we are, mm. um, and storytelling can be really powerful in doing that. But I, so I guess for me is how do you think storytelling weaves into that that point of view? And actually, can we be too quick to try and use storytelling as a technique to tell the story that we want to tell, rather than 
the story that is real and that people will bind to. I guess it's kind of how do you best deploy authentic, I guess I'm trying to talk to, emotion-driven in the right way storytelling that lets um, an organisation purpose, vision, values and mission actually respond in that data at the end so people feel where you want them to feel. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I think think, um, for, for me, the answer is always actually to combine data with story. So and that, that's really the example I was giving of um, because we have data, we can then base the story on that data. What typically happens is leaders want to base the story on their own subjective view of the world that they're in and the people they're around. And, you know, while the age of deference is over, most people still don't necessarily want to speak truth to power and tell them what's really going on and how people um, feel about they'll, they'll just move away or move, move on. So um, the critical aspect for me is always combining data with story or or creating the story from data. So there's something hard and fast to go back to um, where they don't have their own data other than their own thoughts and their own opinions from being around people. Whereas we go, well, we've got thousands of data points that we've used to create um, the story. And, and then I am, I do accept, and that's a fair point, you know, um, with data, there was, there was always the opportunity to create slightly different stories. So that's where, if that's possible, I will always go to the majority view. That makes sense to go, look, I accept there's a minority perspective on this, and, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but if you look at the majority sort of part of the story, if that makes sense, so in other words, you know, let's just use the example we've done with the nation, everyone on South. There are actually some people who go, good on Boris, good on them breaking it. Because you know what? I was breaking it because I thought the whole thing was ridiculous. And I don't care. And I'm talking, there's a minority view, right? But I have heard people say that, like, good on him. Because, you know, why shouldn't they have a party? And Because I was having one. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. But that's not necessarily really the majority story view that most of us would tap into or, or be able to back up. But there will always be, you know, offshoots, if you like, of a slightly different story emerging. And that's in corporates as well, by the way. I think um, there's some really interesting strands to this. Uh, Firstly, you know, I welcome the idea that the challenge of the next decade will be um, kind of, yeah, telling the story of data, but in story. Because what I have seen over the last decade, as I'm sure we all have, and, 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 you know, this is the story arc that we get told all day long by by the computer science community that is prolific and very, very, very well funded, emanating from the West Coast of the US, is that, you know, we're all going to be obsolescent in X years time, obsolete, I beg your pardon, in X years time, because, you know, because technology is going to replace us all, which is utter claptrap. I mean, if they haven't got an autonomous vehicle on the road by now, which they haven't because there's too many risks, we're quite a few steps away from getting to a point, aren't we, where, you know, we're rendering ourselves or surrendering ourselves to a machine so I think there's one piece which is um crafting the story out of the data and that's you know an up um upskilling for the for the internal comms community but the other thing I know the four of us took part in where you invited us on to one of your webinars just before Christmas Matt thank you for for that opportunity but we had a really vibrant conversation about 
the future of employee engagement and the idea, which I'm, it's not an idea, it's, it's for me, it holds true that the next decade will, we will have to um, personalise mm. the employee experience. Um, and so there's one challenge, isn't there, which is ma marrying data and story so that, so that we've got um, a storified version of the data, if you will. Exactly. And, and to your point about, you know, and the majority view is this, mm. the next challenge will also be, you know, what about the dissenters? Because because dissent is quite popular now, isn't it? You know, being objectionable, um, objectionable and cancelling and, you know, social activism and, you know, it's my job to be, it's my job to be awkward in the workplace and, and you know, set out the picket fence and so on. That's almost become, in in some it, some weird way, it's almost become quite cool to be the dissenter. So we need to weave that in as well somehow. I'm not sure yeah. what ideas you might have for that. Yeah, I think, I think a couple of points just to make is, just start at the end with your last point is, Gen Z, uh, one of their characteristics is agitating for revolution. Um, yeah. So, uh, and, and they actually communicate in that way. Um, so if, if you can tell a story that's agitating for revolution, um, which could, because you, you can tell stories in different ways, still based on the data. So I, I do talk to exec about the stories there. Now what we've got to think about, again, is, is a bit of that um, narrative and context to go, how do we take that and communicate in a way that agitates for revolution? Because that's what people want. So, you know, uh, you know, th think of, um, you, you know, whether it's inclusion or, or, or diversity that you, when you're talking about your data points and the changes you're making, you do it in a way of this is a revolution for our company. It could be a law firm or something, you know, very traditional or a, a construction company you go, but you need to speak in the language of revolution. Uh, so that that for me is a way to bridge that gap. Um, whilst you're still saying it's the same story, you're just uh, using a language uh, and a parlance that works for particularly that that um, new generation. The other bit that's really interesting is, you know, again, just as a great example of what you described at the, uh, the start of what you said around, um, you know, we're all going to lose our jobs. Well, that's that's one story. And uh, I was privileged two years ago or whatever it was. Uh, to speak at a conference, and it was all about the fourth industrial revolution. And and really, my my data that I looked at was, you know, um, history teaches us that you know millions of us worked in agriculture. Well, that isn't the case in the West anymore. And then millions of us worked in servitude, and then that isn't the case anymore. And then millions of us worked um, for things like that in coal uh, and in heavy industry, and that's not the case anymore. But, it, but there's not like millions and millions of people sat there through all those. Very rarely, there were small periods where we went through the adjustment. But predominantly, everyone found new roles because we, uh, when I say evolved, you know, you know what I mean by that. We moved into new sectors and new approaches. I'm not whether that's right or wrong is a different question, but we did. And, and so when I look at the fourth industrial revolution that's happening, you know, with this particularly connection of AI and uh, with, with, with humanity, it's like well. It's almost certain, based on everything today, that we'll just move into new sectors that are yet to um, necessarily emerge. I mean, take Bitcoin. I mean, what what a part of the story? You know, who would have thought that that would 
become emerging as a almost the financial system of the world it's certainly on its way um you, you know when you would have always thought it's been money like what is it in the uk now how many people use money it's like it's, it's like 30 percent of people 20 percent. most people are now everything is uh digital through through app time so so yeah i think um i, I hope that helps answer particularly the first part um of what you're looking for Matt, can I ask you something a bit different? Actually, we've been talking so far about what I guess you could call the the big story, the, the corporate narrative. But one of the things that's come through all the discussions we've had in these podcasts is the changing roles for leaders. Um, we've been talking about leader, leaderless teams, and everyone's a leader. The fact that uh, they could, you mentioned this about the lack of deference, for example, leaders can no longer manage through command and control as they ever could. Um, what what role do you see for for stories in in how leaders can build up that trust and change the nature of their relationship with the people they work with? How can they do stories for that? Yeah, and, and just say by the way, I do think you can lead through fear, but you you tend to then create the sort of more of a sort of communist kind of culture that isn't yeah. necessarily productive or creative. You lose a lot of things by that fear, which I think actually corporate companies do now accept, you know, particularly creativity actually and innovation, and it doesn't tend to last. No, because typically you sit there and go, I can see all this failing, but I'm not going to say anything because I'm scared mm. I'll get shouted. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, sorry, to, to, your, to your main point, I think how, how do stories connect in? Um, I hope you hear me right. I think it's about telling uh, a more personal story and also, and, and actually this goes to something Kat said, um, about personalising their story. So I think um, we work quite hard to get line managers to think about what's the story of the person in front of you? They're 25. They're, in, they're just on the, you know, they're just, they're Gen Z. They're coming in. They've never had a job. They've had two years of COVID. They've had, you know, before that, two major, major recessions. Um, so kind of fear and instability and insecurity is quite normal in that generation, um, which means there's higher levels of anxiety. They're in your organization. Where are you going to help them grow to and take them to? What story can you feed them into? And how can you first understand their story? So I think that's really the, and, and that, that came out a lot actually in 2020 around diversity and inclusion. I think people suddenly went, bloody hell, I know my story. And I thought everyone's story was a bit like mine. And, and I think we all kind of woke up or a lot of us and went, they're not, they're very, very different. So I would say that the best way is to tap into to truly understand someone else's story, which requires you know good listening, um, and then almost kind of say to them, okay, how can I help support you in your story of what you're you're trying to um, achieve? We were just literally in my own team. We were talking about this year. We just had a session today about 2022 and all we hopefully achieve and all the rest. And I said, you know, at the heart of that, um, who are you going to become? What are you going to grow in? Where are you going to go to? So I'd love, as much as I'd love you to stay part of Impulse, maybe that's not your story. and That's not a please leave. That's the opposite. But it's a kind of a freedom to go, what are you dreaming for? And if we can tap into that in this organization, amazing. Um, but So I would say it's, it's understanding their story and thinking about where you take them, uh, where you can take them within your organization, within the story there. Matt, we, we, we have to come into land shortly, and, and I've got lots of notes. We've covered some amazing things. I think I've got, amongst other stuff, a storyized data. We've got Agitate for Revolution. I love that. Uh, we've got the fourth industrial revolution, and we've now been talking about 
uh, understanding other people's personal stories so that you could connect with them more effectively. Now, a lot of people listening to this obviously are internal communication professionals. So to finish, can I ask you a question about what they can do? So how can internal communicators, what can they practically do to use storytelling to build engagement, I guess, primarily within their own organizations, but I guess also in the wider community as well? So what, what are the I know key three, four key tips you'd give them. Uh, I love love a good three. <laughs> three things. Good three things. I, I think the, the first is, um, and sometimes a little bit of repeat, but it's really important is connecting data to story. So start with data because I think both Jen and Kat said this. You know, we're professionalizing internal comms, and we've gone a long way. And your organisation, IOIC, has, has, has been a big part of that. To continue that, the more we can say our foundation is data, um, I think that's really helpful. So I would say always look at the data. So in telecoms, you know, you know, forget who you use and all that kind of stuff. The point I'm making is get some good data, whether it's about leadership, whether it's about purpose, you know, what's going on in your organization, and then you can start to tell a story from that data. And actually, there's an there's a there's a science and an art to that. Uh, so there are courses out there you can find about you know storytelling through data. Uh, and how you do that. My, my team have been on that. So that's kind of there. That's one. I think the second is, and this is this is probably the harder one, is to be more ruthless with your leaders to hold them to talk about things in the way of a story. So whenever they go back to, well, I've got 14 slides and I've got 400 points on each slide and I've got all this data. Well, yeah, but so what are you trying to tell them? That, that would be my constant. How do you want them to feel? Well, what's what are you connecting them to? Well, What's the story we're telling? So what does that data tell us? You know, what's that all that data you want to share, which might be really good, but what's it saying? Where's it leading us uh, uh, in, in where we're, we're going? So I think if they can challenge leaders with respect and better than I did when I was in my early years um, and use all their influencing skills, then, then that can be um, very powerful. The third is get used to sharing them themselves. So practitioners have got to be, you know, you've got to be what you're asking others. Uh, and, and there's too many still heads of engagement, heads of HR and internal comms who I meet who haven't learned the art of this in their own teams, let alone their own organizations. That, so they, they're sort of asking of something of the organization where they're not necessarily doing it themselves in their own, um, own roles. So, uh, yeah, it, that helps. No, it does. So it's about it's about data. It's about making sure you're clear about the messages and what you want people to do with those messages. Mm. But I think that and, and something which I guess we all to ask ourselves about is, is: Are we doing it ourselves? Yeah. Are we are we actually using stories ourselves? So, Matt, thank you very much. Lots of stuff there. It's been great to talk to you, and thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thanks very much. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. Thank thanks. you. Thanks for listening today. This episode has been brought to you by the Institute of Internal Communication and was hosted by myself, Jen Sproul, Kat Barnard and Dominic Walters. This episode was produced by Jessica Williams and Shabita Luogampalu. And if you enjoyed this episode today, we'd be enormously grateful if you could rate, review and subscribe on the channel you use to tune in to help others know that we're here. Hopefully you'll tune in again next time.